communication is very crucial and making it very personal to the individual employees, to CEOs. And if it's not like um, kind of directed to you emotionally, um, then the topic wouldn't click. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ready podcast, where we explore how to build future-ready organizations in a new never normal. My name is Arne Kötting, founder of Cozin and your host. In recent years, the call for sustainability measures has become louder and clearer. Sustainability is no longer just a requirement for companies, but has become the norm. This makes it even more important for business to think through their value chain from start to finish and really place sustainability at the heart of their corporate culture. In our sustainability season on, on Future Ready, we aim to help answer this call by talking to various communication experts and um, academics in the field and discussing their insights and perspectives on this important challenge. Our first guest is not only a sustainability enthusiast, but also someone who believes in the power of sharing between university or education and corporate professionals in the pursuit of a sustainable society and business environments. Marina Schmitz is a CSR expert at Polymundo AG, which is a network partner of COSIN. She's also a researcher and lecturer at the IEDC, Blatt School of Management. She has professional expertise in both sustainability, um, sustainability consulting and business transformation, as well as several years of experience in academia as a lecturer, research associate and project manager at the Center for Advanced Sustainable Management, CASM at CBS International Business School in Cologne, Germany. With her extensive experience in this field, Marina is the perfect person to kick off our sustainability season. Welcome to the Future Ready podcast, Marina. Pleasure to have you um, with us. Yeah, thank you, Arne, so much for um, having me, for inviting me. I'm super thrilled and looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, thank you for being here. I'm also very excited to speak to you and get your perspective on this topic. First, Marina, can you tell us a little bit about your own sustainability journey? When and why did you decide to go into the field of sustainability? And what part of sustainability do you find most interesting personally? Sure, happy to do that. Well, I think it was more kind of a subconscious decision or um, maybe even rather a coincidence. So I started studying business administration and Chinese studies back in 2006, but actually found the fact that it was predominantly about like rising profits and performance, uh, at least for the business administration part, very uninspiring since I see the role and responsibilities of companies as a lot more complex than just this narrow view. So I ventured into the direction of human resources management thereafter, um, since this particular focus initially actually promised for me to focus more on the human side of business. Mm -hmm. But also like during this phase, I got to know the social side of sustainability without actually knowing that there was mm -hmm. a proper term for that back then. So I realized that only in 2015, when I came across a workshop, which was um, back in the days facilitated at Nanjing University in China, when I attended it during my data collection for my PhD. So it was pure luck, let's say, that I came across the proper term that I was looking for so long. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I find everything which is kind of mindset and education related very important when it comes to sustainability 
sustainability, but also in general portraying the topic in all its complexity and not only kind of the carbon tunnel that we predominantly talk about, mm -hmm. so the ecological side, which usually limits sustainability to CO2 emissions only and climate related questions, which is important, but not the whole picture. Certainly, uh, we will also address the, this holistic view on sustainability. But before we go into some definitions and the communication work you mentioned, let's start with a more general approach on the topic with the size of transformation. So in 2019, for instance, the Harvard Business Review released their top 20 business transformations of the last decade highlighting companies who have uh, undergone impressive transformation. There are also, you know, and in, in there in these studies, this notion that the sustainability transformation becomes the biggest, the biggest organizational transformation that companies will face over the next um, decades. And other organizations, other consultancies, McKinsey, um, BCG, all playing in the same or all echoing this, highlighting the incredible size and complexity of what companies have, big and small, have ahead of them themselves. What is your view? Because you have a kind of a dual role. You're working as a, as I introduced you already, you're working as a, as a professor for um, sustainability, so you're close to, to students, but you're also working as an associate to a um, sustainability Consultancy that is also closely connected to to um, to to us as as Cozin. Um, what what's your view from those two dimensions? Um, are organizations realizing the size of the transformation um, and the and the scope um, of sustainability? Um, is it is it properly matched in their in their in their planning in their budgets? What what's your view? Yeah, I would say that organizations do not yet realize the size of this transformation. And uh, most of the companies actually do see sustainability in the form of sustainability reporting. So as an additional burden, which needs to be somehow managed. And so um, preferably without actually fundamentally questioning their current business model. So just Taking the box, checking the box and saying, hey, this is a sustainability report, I'm done. Mm -hmm. But sustainability should be more than a kind of an add-on since it requires us to fundamentally rethink the way we have been doing business. And in relation to uh, climate that you brought um, up just now, um, for example, the UN Environment uh, Program, the emissions gap report that was released this year in 2022, shows that updated um, national pledges since the COP26, or the climate meeting held in 2021 in the UK, made uh, a negligible difference to predicted 2030 emissions and that we are actually very far away from the Paris Agreement goal of limiting global warming to well below two degrees, preferably actually 1.5 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so policies currently in place are rather pointing to 2.8 degrees of temperature rise by the end of the century. And so um, the current pledges that are in place only are marginally um, yeah, catering to this goal. So 2.4, 2.6 degrees temperature rise by the end of the century. And coming back also to the point that um, yeah, I made earlier regarding reporting and climate goals, 
Um, a study by Bernard Bjorn et al. 2017, they presented actually a comprehensive review of references made to ecological limits in corporate responsibility reports. And they actually looked at 40,000 reports dating from 2000 to 2014, And they identified references and found a tenfold increase in the number of references made to ecological limits in these reports. And also, of course, found out that there was an increase in the overall number of the reports uh, published in this time period. Now, why am I saying this is actually the crucial part that, part that they found out is that the proportion of companies referring to ecological limits in their reports has, however, only been roughly 5%. So 5% of the 40,000 reports even made kind of this connection. And so this is uh, quite huge because the relation to climate change and references to two degrees Celsius um, were frequent, but then the vast majority of companies um, did refer to this goal without specific references to ongoing or planned changes in their activities as mm -hmm. a consequence of recognizing this. So I think we do see a mismatch of what we actually claim we want to achieve and what is actually being done. And so an increase in sustainability reports does not really show that we're on the right track. And so I would say to your question overall that no, unfortunately, organizations are not realizing the size of this transformation, not And even in one single field uh, as climate change. Ah, okay. Yes. What do you think is missing? Uh, is it a lack of understanding of the challenges and the role they can play or a lack of imagination or is the problem that it's more lip service and they are not really interested in contributing? I think it's both. It's um, a complex phenomenon. So first of all, I think it's the gravity of the problem and really not understanding the gravity of the problem because it's not something that um, yeah, is changing right now in this moment. So climate change is, of course, a gradual process. And it's not like something like a war that happens immediately and you mm. directly see the consequences, but it's more of a progress and, and a process. And we don't see all of the consequences right now. But mm. once we see them, it's irreversible and it's too late. So first of all, acknowledging the gravity of the problem right now is an issue. Then also understanding um, the complexity. Of course, we have been trained as managers to reduce complexity, to have like fast, easy solutions. But then this is unfortunately not how the world uh, works. Then, of course, um, also a lack of willingness to fundamentally unlearn and rethink how we do business and how we have been doing business in the past, because it means to question everything that you have been doing in terms of business operations up until this point. And this is quite crucial. So I think also the educational sector does play a role or has a role there. And what companies can do, I think, think is to just be aware of this change. And I mean, there are like tons and tons of, let's say, knowledge floating around um, people or networks that are offering, let's say, training, even without a price tag. And I think if you are willing to change and up for this challenge, then there are multiple offers out there um, to, yeah, let's say, set you up on this pathway. Do industries differ in terms of their understanding of the sense of urgency of this topic? Uh, well, I think in terms of industry that stands out, um, it seems that especially the resource and energy heavy companies are realizing the gravity of the change. 
but are also puzzled about how to continue growth and mm. yeah, kind of at the same pace as before while being on a kind of resource usage reduction pathway. So yeah, dealing with this puzzle um, of decoupling resource use and growth is something that they try to understand for themselves. And companies and industries that are already impacted by the various consequences of, for example, climate change are, for example, like the agricultural sector or other sectors like electricity supply and various other industries like transport, building sector, food, financial systems. And they need to move faster since their potential impact to offering solutions is greater. So they can yeah, make a heavier impact on uh, a potential change. And this is also shown by research done within the scope of the so-called project drawdown that lists certain industry solutions that can contribute um, more or less. Yes. And of course, the energy um, heavy industries are more under, you know, under pressure from, yes, from external groups to have a response and contribute. No? Um, yes. And what about the uh, geographical difference? Are there right. is, is the topic more top of mind in certain regions and not top of mind in others? I would say that um, it's not quite the same across the globe. So the approach to an understanding of sustainability is quite different indeed. And it's a topic that in most cases actually doesn't make it onto the political agenda across the globe. And there we actually don't see such a difference uh, worldwide. There are countries that are more progressive, others not. And it's very much intertwined with um, political agendas. And in countries, for example, like uh, India and China, where pollution issues frequently make the news, it has become a national security concern because, of course, you don't want people to, um, yeah, protests um, because of that. And so their policymakers are um, increasingly aware that they need to be very careful about uh, monitoring the um, status quo. And also additionally, many countries in the global south are, economically speaking, still on the rise. So whenever we speak about sustainability, um, global north countries enjoy actually the luxury of having exported most of their polluting industries to exactly these countries in the global south. And so what we're doing right now, speaking here from a global north perspective, is demanding emission reductions from them while we are still consuming or over-consuming products that are manufactured in these regions. And I find this quite hypocritical to some extent. And so some have even labeled this behavior as a climate colonialism to mm. a certain extent. Mm. Mm. Super important point. And in terms of the company size, um, do you think that it's um, the understanding of the topic and also the what's happening right now is depends on the size of organizations? Yeah, I do believe that this makes a huge difference. So naturally speaking, the small and medium-sized enterprises are mostly actually due to um, family ownership, very much interested in long-term thinking and strategic decision-making. However, sometimes they lack the respective resources to drive change fast enough. So sometimes lack of knowledge, financial support, sometimes even lack of personnel. But at the same time, their decision-making is much faster, changes can be implemented much more rapidly, which is definitely a benefit. 
And so I believe that for um, SMEs, this like mutual support system cooperation will be very crucial in the future across uh, the industry, um, between industries. And we do already see some formation of regional networks and similar infrastructure that is building. And uh, on a more general note, we do also see that regional surveys by chambers of commerce, for example, in Germany, have shown that companies are aware of the topic and its uh, importance, but actually fail to address it adequately in their business model. So they don't know how to implement. So what is the first step? What is the second step? And so on and so forth. So it's really interesting. Um, when it comes to developing future-ready sustainable business models, it naturally varies significantly how seriously companies take the issue of building, you know, sustainable businesses. Uh, the process requires thinking about the entire value chain from start to finish. So really from sourcing to production of the products to the sales and even further to the after sales. Um, that is, you know, what happens with the products after they've been sold. Are our organization currently really thinking about this entire value chain from start to finish or are we still at the stage where they're mainly focused on implementing and communicating small initiatives? Where are we at this moment in your view? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do actually believe that the vast majority of companies, um, big and small, um, is just starting to dig into sustainability and understand what this transformation really requires and that it actually goes well beyond just submitting the sustainability report as we talked about at the beginning. So, however, I do see that most companies are clueless about how to really integrate, implement sustainability in their company. And um, that is very important that it does not stop by just establishing a CSR department and saying, hey, this is like one department that is responsible and then the rest of the company is just free to do whatever they want or business as usual. So as you mentioned, how far does the implementation need to go? So I do believe that um, there are certain, let's say, business functions that are more naturally exposed to making a lot of impact. So, for example, if we want to, again, uh, stress this like CO2 um, emission considerations, around about 80% of CO2 emissions are, yeah, um, let's say transferred or arise across the supply chain pathway. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, when we look into um, departments that are very much tied to this, these processes and these functional areas, these would be ideally the um, functional areas I would start addressing. Um, so, first of all, really, yeah, un deciding what is the kind of... Um, complexity of the tasks that they need to perform and then check what are the ecological impacts we're making, what are the social impacts, and then really rethinking these functional areas from the core. And Marina, the 80%, mm -hmm. does it also cover the production, their own production, or is it really only kind of sourcing in and selling uh, or yes, shipping? Yes, it's, it's the full, the fully fledged also in the logistics and so on and so forth. Um, so the whole um, part of, you know, um, yeah, getting the, the products to the end consumers, so to speak. So, But including the own production facilities? Yes, usually um, it's also including the, the production okay. facilities, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying then really looking at the numbers, doing an assessment of really where the major kind of footprints or the, the carbon footprints are within the company and then focus on who makes the biggest impact. Yes, yes, 
Absolutely, yeah. You know, that kind of naturally leads us to the question of, you know, the, the case for sustainability transformation. I'm thinking and my feeling is when you, you know, at least when you talk to um, to leaders that you don't you don't have to convince anybody anymore like that there is something that there is a that there is a problem and that there is also and that companies also need to play a role in this um, in tackling this these problems but let's try to make this a little bit harder you know and make the the, the case for this so what are the motivating factors for um, what should be motivating factors for organization to dedicate time and resources into a sustainability um, transformation? How do sustainable companies differ and excel compared to unsustainable organizations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of the benefits, let's say, or the, the business case, as you mentioned, is exactly this understanding, oh, I can do good and at the same time also make profit. So this is the, the business case that we have always been stressing quite a bit. Um, the discussion is changing now so that we are moving beyond the business case so that we actually go more into these like value discussions, uh, personal fulfillment. What does it mean to you um, as like having an impact with what you do, doing the right thing, that this should be kind of motivation enough to yeah. do something. But then um, coming back to your question. So, of course, it's an increase in reputation, attracting and retaining the um, talent then tapping into potential of new markets and target groups, um, saving raw materials and energy. So this energy efficiency debate, um, fulfillment, of course, kind of the basic compliance uh, issues of political requirements and guidelines like we have in the EU now with um, the Supply Chain Act or the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Okay, quick stop here again. What exactly is the European Supply Chain Act and the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive? First, let's briefly talk more in detail about the EU Supply Chain Act. The draft European Supply Chain Act recognizes that the behavior of companies in all sectors of the economy is key to the European Union's success in transitioning to a carbon neutral and green economy. The Act will require companies to implement comprehensive procedures to mitigate negative impacts on human rights and the environment in their value chains, integrate sustainability into corporate governments and management systems and make business decisions considering human rights, climate and environmental impacts. The draft was adopted by the European Council in December 2022 and the next step is for the European Parliament to agree on a position which is expected to happen in May 2023. EU member states will then have two years to implement the directive into their own national laws. Second, there is the above-mentioned Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. The European Commission presented the CSRD proposal on the 21st of April 2021 as part of the European Green Deal and the Sustainable Finance Agenda. The CSRD introduces more detailed reporting requirements and ensures that large companies and listed SMEs are required to report publish detailed information on sustainability matters um, such as environmental rights, social rights, human rights and uh, governance factors. The aim is to increase companies' accountability, prevent divergent, divergent sustainability standards 
and ease the transition to a sustainable economy. In November 2022, the European Council approved the CSRD and after being signed by the President of the Council and published in the official journal of the European Union, it will enter into force 20 days afterwards. The new rules will need to be implemented by member states 18 months later. Then, of course, um, commitment to environmental and social issues, in addition to the core, maybe more economic um, profit-driven business, then reduction of entrepreneurial risk, um, or also an increase of innovation potential um, for businesses. So this is just like some of the aspects that are um, yeah, currently been or have been proven by um, studies and empirical mm. investigations mm. so far. Mm. Yeah. And when we look from the other side, what, so what are the costs of companies of waiting to get going the sustainability transformation? Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, for me quite uh, simple. So they destroy their foundation for doing business in the future. Um, so, of course, there is no business been made on a dead planet um, and with a dead society, so to speak. And we have seen it actually already happening in some parts during the pandemic so that only businesses or professions which are, as we called it, like system relevant, that are able to still operate during times of crisis. So the backbones of um, the economy, of society. And of course, beyond that, you lose out to your competition. You will lose clients that require certain sustainability standards uh, because they are pressured to do so by uh, regulators in form of the um, guidelines I just mentioned, like the Supply Chain Act, Corporate uh, Sustainability Reporting Directive. But there will also be sanctions tied to these uh, guidelines. Um, so for not complying with these rules, so for example, like 2% of annual revenue of respective companies is discussed as one potential number and figure. But again, uh, these sanctions are not uh, yet finalized completely. So there is still uh, room for debate. But yes, um, I think the fundamental cost would be destroying the foundation uh, for doing business in the long run. Yes. From your view, where do you think are organizations, from your outside-in view, organizations currently um, struggling most with? I think for me, it's personally mostly the implementation. So where to start? Because the problem, the um, issue is very complex. So just rethinking the organization from a sustainability lens is quite a hard job to do in the first place. So obviously, companies with, with all the kind of, um, yeah, things that they could change, like where to start, what is the first step, the second, the third, um, where can I just really um, start going with such a massive business transformation? Because it's just not like, oh, I want to gather data for my sustainability report. It's more forming a movement within the company um, that also transforms how you think, how you operate, and doing this is by no means easy. Of course, you would start very simply kind of with the 
yeah, understanding what sustainability means for you, for your sector, for your um, company, but then also moving into strategy, having, let's say, CEO on board, having them committed, reaching out to the stakeholders, um, yeah, engaging in conversations, thinking about measures to set, thinking about um, yeah, specific uh, key performance indicators to identify, then following up on these, being in discussion with uh, various stakeholders, um, identifying material topics that are important not only for your own company, but for the stakeholders, um, thinking about how to really um, mainstream sustainability in your company. So identifying what sustainability means for each functional area. So what does it mean for purchasing? What does it mean for, um, let's say, the different steps of the manufacturing process? What does it mean for marketing? What does it mean for finance? And so on and so forth. And then, of course, at the end of this transformation process, you have this like sustainability report. But for me, the report in itself is not so important. It's more kind of documentation of your pathway to a transformation of, of a business transformation. So, yeah, I think that is the, the, the issue that, are, that companies are currently struggling with. Um, yeah. I think that's really important. Mainstreaming sustainability, I like that term, because that's also an area where we are helping our clients with. So incorporating this topic into internal and external communication. So it's all about, you know, finding the right terminologies, finding the right narrative, um, trying to create a buzz and excitement around this issue through... Absolutely. Yeah, I think communication is very crucial and making it very personal to the individual employees, to CEOs. And if it's not like um, kind of directed to you emotionally, um, then the topic wouldn't click and it would not lead to a transformation. So if we just think about it from a fact-based perspective, like the cognitive aspects, we all know. I mean, the facts are all out there, but then what does it mean to you as an individual? How does it trigger you emotionally? And if we don't make this connection to the emotional side of us human beings, then we will not see um, it being relevant and um, yeah, taken, taken to action by the individual players. Yeah, super interesting. Is this also, you mentioned that earlier, that you need to move away from this kind of abstract theoretic bit dull uh, kind of conversation and make it personal in the sense of connecting this to people's own purpose as to why they come to work, what inspires them to work at that company and etc. Is this the way forward that you should, you know, touch the, the hearts and the minds of, of the people to make it not an abstract thing, but a really very, very personal thing that they should care about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you fail to really involve the people, then um, yeah, the, this this topic will just not um, be very very dear to their hearts. Mm. And if we fail to really make this connection, and um, of course, I mean yes, of course, some people are motivated by um, increasing monetary flows and increased salaries whatsoever. But um, at the end of, of the day, also during the pandemic, what really counted were social interactions the um, as human beings, as social beings. And I do believe that this also includes this value-driven discussion on purpose. I know it's a buzzword, but um, it's really about what drives you? What is the, the role of businesses? What is the impact we can make? What is the 
core idea behind establishing businesses in the first place. Yes, of course, you could argue it's a job. It's kind of getting everyone a proper salary. But then um, I think it was not the initial idea why we established businesses in the first place as conglomerates who could, yeah, let's say, drive a shared interest of people who worked for a given company and to, mm. yeah, really make a difference in the world. Mm, super interesting. If you, there are some companies who are really kind of um, benchmarks and great cases for these sustainability transformation. Is there already research on what, you know, what elements are, you know, really sets them apart? Those really successful cases. What, what, what do they do really differently that, that makes them so successful? Or is the, are we too early in the journey? No, I think there, especially among the small and medium-sized enterprises, especially also among um, younger corporations like startups that um, f have founded their business on very different grounds compared to, let's say, um, the older generation, so to speak, of um, businesses. I mean, we do see um, responsible businesses in each, like the younger, the older generations of um, companies. But then what I think the, the younger corporations have um, done differently is really founding their business model to respond to the social and environmental challenges of our time. And some of the, let's say, more age businesses, they saw a need, uh, a niche market. They saw um, yeah, something that could sell. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yes, with a purpose, but I think um, predominantly as we were also teaching business entirely different uh, in the past, um, they were coming more from a specific need perspective and not from the impact driven uh, perspective that we see um, today. And that I think is very different. So what also um, companies are doing differently right now is to not see human beings that work for um, the companies or the employees, not as machines, let's say, where we have to increase productivity and whatnot, but just to see them as, um, yeah, let's say, just human beings that mm. want to make a difference that are also um, valuable for the company that are dedicating their time, their effort, their passion to um, a specific cause that is aligned with company um, objectives. And really making it an inclusive, let's say, um, experience so that uh, work can also enhance our personal life is very crucial. And they um, foster an entirely different um, attitude when they talk and engage with their employees. So it's not a resource, mm -hmm. um, more, let's say, uh, a very friendly relationship, a very um, cherished um, mm -hmm. yeah, um, yeah, kind of perspective. Yeah, and that's even more important to take that approach in times of debates about quite quitting. So for listeners who are not fully familiar with this concept, quite quitting is the practice of people not working more than they're contractually obliged to. And that term became quite um, discussed, particularly post-COVID or in COVID times. Absolutely. Obviously, a term that becomes more and more important um, for companies is obviously ESG. Before we dive into this a little bit more, help us to, you know, get a little bit more clarification on that term, what it entails, and also how it moves maybe beyond the typical sustainability terminology. Yeah, 
Sure. Um, so ESG stands for, or is the abbreviation for Environment Social Governance Aspects. And the term has its offsprings um, more or is very much aligned to the triple bottom line that is very at the core of uh, sustainability considerations. So the triple bottom line is the overlap of social environment and economic aspects. And at the core of all of these three components, you have sustainability. Now, for ESG, we still have environment and social aspects, but um, the third pillar is governance. And so the term ESG was actually made popular by the finance industry. So as it is mostly related to investment decisions or was uh, related to investment decisions, and it has its uh, roots more in risk management. So whereas sustainability, from my perspective, um, has an additional normative component to it, uh, which is usually neglected in ESG discussions. So I do would even argue that ESG um, is a much more narrow focus um, or has a more narrow focus than sustainability does. But of course, there are huge debates also. Um, and even in the field, like people in the field uh, do conflate the two terms. They say ESG is the same as sustainability. I would argue against that ESG is just um, yeah one interpretation of sustainability and sustainability itself has this very strong normative component to it, which makes it more of this like overarching um, frame. Now, of course, there are, um, as I just said, uh, a lot of debates still ongoing because the um, yeah, ESG discussion is still very young. We also talk now about not sustainability reports, but ESG reports, mm -hmm. ESG companies, for example, um, without really knowing where this discussion is heading. But I do believe that it's very much driven by um, the finance industry that, of course, have their own interest in yeah, occupying this um, specific specific field here. Mm. Now, um, what I do see also as a very critical aspect is that current ESG approaches do not sufficiently incorporate the planetary boundaries and ecological limits um, that I talked about at the beginning. So remember these like 40,000 reports and only 5% were actually mentioning, oh, hey, um, by the way, with our business activities, we do um, stretch or overstretch the planetary boundaries. Yeah. We are exceeding ecological limits. And this is not yet at the core of the ESG debate so far. Where do you think companies are focusing most on the E or the S or the G? In your perspective, what is lacking and what are companies struggling most with? Mm -hmm. Well, I do believe that from an understanding, it's definitely the environmental layer. Of course, the environmental aspects do gain a lot of intention recently. We talked about this like CO2 or carbon uh, tunnel so that sustainability discussions are only centering about like CO2 emissions and uh, climate change, which, yes, is, of course, um, super important. But sustainability is far more complex. So where we put a lot of stress on environmental aspects, the social aspects have been neglected. But I do believe that especially among the small and medium-sized enterprises, this like social component has been quite strong um, anyways. Mm -hmm. So they have been much more focusing on social aspects before. But then um, their whole uh, disregard or let's say um, lack of knowledge for environmental components because mm. that is also not something that was integrated in business education before. 
So this is something that they now have to build. And of course, managers that are now being educated, so the future managers, they know because they have been trained. But yeah. then what about all of them that are currently already in companies and don't have this knowledge? So where to get it from and who is mm. responsible that they are trained adequately? The last component, governance, um, this is crucial. At the same time, um, of course, that is very much overlapping maybe with um, business ethics, with compliance mechanism. And here I do see the risk of um, reducing it really to a risk management tool and that sustainability is just about avoiding risks and not about the positive um, impact we could generate. Mm -hmm. So just trying to avoid negative impact. Mm -hmm. And um, this is a danger I do definitely see so, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So do you think that, you know, focusing on too much on this ESG thing will kind of prevent people to be become a little bit more ambitious in the sense of become net positive or whatever term you want to use there? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I think um, ESG is... Yeah, for me personally, of course, there are certain frameworks surrounding ESG, but then it's more of a checklist. And uh, when I checked all the boxes and answered all the questions that are related to ESG to appear in uh, any of these like rankings and ratings, then we run into the danger of not really grasping the potential of uh, being truly transformative. And Super this is interesting. something that is happening right now, I do believe. So it prevents us from being, being bold and ambitious enough. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Interesting. Um, so let's become a little bit more kind of technical for, mm -hmm. for a minute and look into sure. what are the kind of, what's, what are the policy or legal changes that um, that are coming over the next months and years or so um, for organizations that makes their efforts in becoming more sustainable even more important. Yes, definitely. I think um, I mentioned some of them already before. The two major ones that I do see, especially in the EU, is or in Europe in general, let's let's put it that way, is the um, Supply Chain Act and the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. Some of you have probably come across that as CSRD, as an abbreviation. These two, so Supply Chain Act and CSRD, are the most prominent and relevant ones to know more about um, in Europe or whether you are interested in engaging in, engaging, uh, in, in business activities with European uh, stakeholders. So this is very important. So it's not only important among um, European um, corporations, but then also for everyone who wants to do business with uh, everyone or anyone in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. So they will be rolled out in the coming years. Um, there are a lot of yeah, facts and figures that you can uh, read up on rel uh, related to the ministries responsible for your industries. And it's uh, all depending on company size, so how many employees um, you have and uh, the revenue you generate. And they are then based on this different deadlines by when uh, compliance to both of these laws needs to be ensured, um, giving you a rough time frame. Um, some of them are already in place now for the larger companies that have maybe 1,000, 3,000 employees and so forth. 
But then for the small and medium-sized enterprises, um, they should start the sustainability transformation right now because implementing and catering to these laws, they are quite comprehensive, mm -hmm. is time-consuming and it's not something that you can do within like two, three months. This will not work. Mm -hmm. So um, the reporting is then required for small and medium-sized enterprises more towards, let's say, 2024, 25. Um, so starting now would be a very, very good uh, timeline would, to get would ready. Would be a good idea. <laughs> would be a good idea to <laughs> get started now. now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, of course, uh, and that is also why I don't want to um, yeah, go into the content too much because currently these laws are still being debated. Some of them are implemented in some countries already. Um, but then they are still being reshaped um, to cater to a European framework. So we do see some changes eventually. And of course, uh, larger corporations do have different standards than the ones that uh, will be relevant for small and medium-sized enterprises mm. then later on. Let's look into the current situation or the current um, global context. Um, so obviously we find businesses, we as the society generally find ourselves in a incredibly uncertain times. Not only we are living um, through a global um, pandemic still, um, but also our global markets are experiencing the stark effects um, of the Russia war on Ukraine and Europe. Sanctions on, on Russian gas supply have translated into a widespread energy crisis. Marina, in your view, do the recessions caused by the crises and, and or these crises in general boost or slow down sustainable business um, transformations? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I think a question that has been uh, well debated already and there are, of course, different viewpoints on that. But what we do actually see is that the sustainable business transformation and the discussions about it have fundamentally slowed down, unfortunately. So as soon as there is a crisis, whatever that may be, or if it's like um, a war or the following, um, let's say, energy crisis, so a crisis that seems much more urgent right now, um, we forget about our long-term goals, including uh, the sustainable business transformation. And so um, I have said it before. So for example, picking again, climate change, it's a more gradual process. And so we fail to um, commit ourselves to solutions right now, which is very dangerous since the change or the climate change, climate crisis will be irreversible and the rapid action right now would be even more crucial. However, then um, we are failing to see this complexity and um, yeah, making long-term decisions, um, both on a, let's say, a business sector perspective, but also a political agenda. If we see what uh, decisions are currently being made, we do see that some of them are very much short-sighted. Yeah, we talked about it, and I mentioned this um, earlier a bit, the importance to think in partnerships and think in wider ecosystems and really think about how to find solution between um, private sector NGOs and government organizations. Um, we all know there are, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of NGOs working in the field uh, related to sustainability. Um, you know, Greenpeace, WWF, Oxfam, just to name the biggest of them. Um, and obviously, NGOs have an important influence on corporate sustainability activities. Um, in research done by Seaside 2020, um, they've examined the power that NGOs have 
to influence the adaptation, uh, the adoption of sustainability policies um, um, in uh, organizations. And they also concluded that NGOs play a significant role basically through two types of actions, either collaborative partnerships, so finding um, finding and uh, solutions together with companies and, and, and co-creating programs, or confrontational tactics, uh, which is more the kind of the classical naming and shaming of um, the private sector um, for, you know, doing or not doing certain things. The article also highlights that NGOs play an important role in fight for environmental sustainability and accountability through their collaboration with governments or their closer collaboration with governments and civil society organizations. Um, Marina, what do you think is the role of, of about the role of NGOs in this um, transformation? So I think various stakeholders can definitely drive the transformation of companies um, and should also be integrated in discussions of uh, said corporate transformation. So one important step or one tool um, to do this is the so-called uh, materiality matrix where mm -hmm. stakeholders and the respective company are outlining what is of most importance to each of them. And then, of course, uh, companies are required to tackle the goals that have been identified as most important by both the company itself and also the stakeholder. Okay, and let's pause here a minute to um, explain the term materiality um, assessment or materiality metrics. Um, it is a step in the materiality um, analysis, the process by which companies decide which issues are most important to their business, more specifically on the topic of sustainability, which sustainability issues are relevant and can have an impact on the company. There are three main steps in this process. First, identifying the most important issues or sustainability topics and deciding which stakeholder groups are relevant to each topic and collecting data from internal and external stakeholders and prioritize um, the topics by mapping them onto a materiality matrix, as Marina has highlighted. The materiality metrics is used to visualize all of the data and information collected by mapping the relevant issues onto X and Y axis, transforming the data thereby into information that can be used to create actionable changes and decisions. Now, of course, the stakeholder role in general, like being it like governments, NGOs, whoever, their role is to create awareness. So awareness creating is done um, very well, I think, by Fridays for Future. I think without this movement, we wouldn't be where we are um, mm. now. Yeah, Fridays for Future is another great example. And on the other hand, NGOs have taken companies to court in the past. Um, for example, Friends of the Earth France, Sylvie and four U Ugandan um, civil society organizations began a campaign to bring the transnational corporation Total to justice after investigations revealed human rights abuses, environmental and climate endangerment committed by Total, Total in a new oil project in Uganda. This campaign led to an appeal against Total before the Versailles Court of Appeal in France in October 2020, where the judges ruled in favor of Total. This trial was followed by a detailed report from Friends of the Earth criticizing not only Total, but also the French government's complicity with the oil company. Um, Marina, have you noticed this sort of things happening as well? 
And of course, um, and as recently, of course, in the press as well, is uh, Just Stop Oil, uh, one of the um, other activist groups um, that do, let's say, create a lot of tension. Is the action they are taking appropriate? Is it already a little bit of over the top? Um, how, let's say, aggressive, let's say, proactive should mm. you be? Can you be in, yeah, with, with the ultimate goal to create awareness, to change something? And here, of course, there are certain debates of what is appropriate, not appropriate, given all of the challenges that we do have. And um, there are others like, let's say, governments that have other toolboxes, so they cannot, let's say, uh, go on protest or whatever, like the NGOs can uh, sometimes, but they can use um, regulations as their uh, tool to steer the transformation in a specific direction. Mm. So we do have um, a certain tool a box at our disposal, depending on which stakeholder group we belong to. And I think uh, it's important to have this uh, mix. So I think it's very important um, to call on anyone or, or every one of the stakeholders to really make use of their um, power to, to steer the transformation in the right direction and make sure that we are moving and uh, not seeking excuses um, despite all of the, let's say, issues and problems that arise. And it will be probably more to come in the future. So I think the war uh, in Ukraine, the mm. energy crisis and so on, and pandemic, um, these will not be the, the last crises we have um, or we will be facing. So definitely will be, uh, let's say, new normal that there will be other um, issues that yeah, try to, let's say, uh, steer the focus away from the yeah. sustainable business transformation. Yeah, sure thing. Um, let's see how this will develop. One last question on this topic. Um, some months ago, I'm sure you've heard, for the first time an Australian energy company was ordered by a court to pay $22,000 fee for greenwashing. This was a case where an energy company had externally promised something that it didn't deliver. Do you think that this is the trend we are going to see more and more? Um, will there be increased legal proceedings or action against greenwashing moving forward? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, we have been seeing some uh, issues in the past where not only actually corporate actors, but also governments have been sued for, let's say, um, yeah, failing to... Um, see the urgence of the transformation that we are needing. So we have been seeing uh, across the globe that governments have promised, oh, this is kind of our, you know, um, environmental policy plans and so on. And then uh, certain activist groups have said, and they were, um, yeah, rightfully, um, yeah, then also uh, given this uh, decision in front of court that yes, the governments are not um, progressive enough and they need to revise their policies. Mm -hmm. And we have seen that also for, for companies that have been sued across the globe, by the way. So if it's an international company, a global company, they can be sued basically anywhere across yeah. the globe for failing to um, you know, care for their negative impact. And we have seen that with uh, larger energy companies. We will see that much more so in the future because also the, 
let's say, legal frameworks allow for this um, move also to sue them in a, in a legal way, especially the Supply Chain Act. Um, they have certain mechanisms in place that this is facilitated and that whenever there is a violation of human rights or whatever um, across the supply chain that the um, actors that are um, suffering from this, they can go to court and say, hey, look, this is what XYZ company is doing and um, I would like to sue them. And this is then facilitated under the Supply Chain Act legislation. Mm. And I think that is quite exciting for me personally to see a transformation happening. But then for the companies, of course, very dangerous because now they really have to make sure that it's not only lip service, but that they're actually doing something to avoid also the risk of being sued in the future. Yes. Mm, super interesting. Um, great example of also how these external policies will have an impact on organizations in the way they communicate about their contributions going forward. Marina, we are at the end of our conversation and thank you a lot for all these interesting insights and for exploring the territory with me before we dive into our upcoming exciting episodes on strategy development, product shaping and external engagement. For our listeners, we'll be diving deeper into sustainability over the next few months having a variety of experts across industries on the podcast to share their diverse experiences and insights. Be on the outlook for the next episodes. So once again, thank you for your time and all the best, Marina. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was uh, wonderful being with you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Hey there, and thank you for listening to Future Ready. Future Ready is produced by Cozin, a global communications and change agency on a mission to shape more healthy and thriving businesses. Find out more at wearecozin.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review or forward this show to someone who you think will love it. Thank you very much for this and until very soon.